Syracuse men's basketball is finally off the schneid with a win over Pittsburgh earlier this week. We're here to break it all down on Fizz Radio here on the Score 1260. We got you until the top of the hour. Drew Carter alongside Jonathan Hoppy. Here we're going to talk about the Syracuse win over Pittsburgh and what it means for the Orange breaking a four-game losing streak here in conference play. Also, we're going to get into the football schedule that came out earlier this week as well, plus a couple of high-profile Syracuse recruiting targets visiting campus this weekend and a potential new transfer rule in the NCAA that could affect one player already on the SU men's basketball team. And then, as always, we'll wrap up with Fizz feedback. Okay, Happy, we got to get into this Syracuse and Pittsburgh game. Coming into it, we kind of thought that this would be an easy win for the Orange. Those don't come by very often in the <laughs> ACC, but Pittsburgh has been garbage this year, absolutely atrocious, 0-6 in the conference now, and Syracuse wins by 14 points, 59-45. to Not a great offensive performance, but at least you shut them down. Well, that's kind of been the story the whole season. Not a great offensive performance indeed. And if there was ever a must-win in mid-January, it was this game against Pittsburgh. I mean, I can't say that enough. And for for a time there in that game, the game was close. I mean, for a lot of the game. I really think that 14-point score is not indicative of the type of game it was. Absolutely. It was back and forth, and the Orange just kind of pulled away in the second half. But a win's a win. They got the job done. First win for Syracuse in 2018. You know, take that one in. 16 days into the new year, Syracuse gets its first win. And when you look at the schedule, Wake Forest, Notre Dame, Virginia, Florida State, those are the teams that Syracuse lost to. All good teams, but you figured they'd get a win at some point between Wake Forest on the road and Notre Dame at home without their two best players. Not a great start to the year, but at least they did pick up the win. Yeah, I've been going back and forth on those games because on paper – When the committee looks at a loss to Notre Dame by two points, you think Notre Dame's probably going to be a top five seed. They might be a five seed, but when they get those guys back, Bonzi Colson and Matt Farrell, they're probably one of the 20 best teams in the country. At Wake Forest, you only lose by six points on paper. It's not too bad. But people who watch those games know, Hoppy, that those are pretty bad losses when you consider that both those teams were missing their best player. And for the Irish, you're at home and they're missing their two best players. Yeah, that's not a good formula, Drew. You said it. When it comes to the committee in March, who they're going to pick, some people think that they actually don't pay that much attention to who was playing in this game, who wasn't playing in this game. So if that's the case, not a terrible loss to Notre Dame, but... I really think that at Wake Forest game, and not to harp too much on the past, a four-game losing streak, that's a four-game losing streak. No matter if you go to double overtime with Florida State on the road, the fact is four straight losses, you win your first game of the new year, January 16th. But I really wanted that Wake Forest game to be a win for Syracuse. It wasn't, and then they play a Pittsburgh team that, that like you said, has just been complete garbage. And a 16.5-point spread You can't even cover that. You know, it's tough to cover that big of a spread, clearly. But that shows what people think of this Pittsburgh team. And I think Syracuse should have had a better performance. Just 59 points. I mean, they just can't score. All these games are so ugly. And when I look at it, I I wonder what needs to improve. And I, I don't have an answer. Talking about the Syracuse men's basketball win over Pittsburgh earlier on this week in the Dome. 
on the Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. And I think you bring up an interesting point there. They probably, from the committee standpoint, can't analyze all of these games as heavily as we do. So we're sitting here and we know that a win like this over Pittsburgh, it looks good on the final schedule when you see a 14-point win over a conference foe. I don't really care who it is. That's It looks like a good win, probably in the committee's eyes. We know that you should win that game by more, and it wasn't comfortable. I mean, for the first 30 minutes of this game, it was back and forth, and Syracuse couldn't pull away. They went on a little run there uh, midway through the second half and, and kind of didn't look back from there. But, but until that point, Pittsburgh was hanging around, and we can't really say this enough. Pittsburgh is terrible. They might not win an ACC game this year. Like, Think about how yeah. bad Boston College has been in the last few years. Pittsburgh is half that good. No, they, they are terrible. They're not good at all. You said it. So a win's a win. And right. that's the biggest thing. Get the win going into the so-called bye week and get ready for Boston College and try yeah. to go on a run. And the bigger point there is, so we can sit down here and look game by game and, and have these takeaways. For the committee, they're, if you think about it, they have to pick 68 teams. They're analyzing close to 100 schedules. And they can't go game by game and look at every every single contest. Maybe if they had like a correspondent for every single team, but we know that's not the case. So it's, it's all about how it looks on paper. And so it's good that Syracuse was able to pull away late in this game against Pittsburgh. But the, the games against Notre Dame and Wake Forest, I mean, this, it's probably the same story there because you see a two-point loss to Notre Dame and it's not that bad. But we're sitting here and we know that it's not going to bode well for you in the future if you're playing that poorly against a team without its, its best player or its two best players. But an interesting comparison here is you look back a couple of years. 2016, Syracuse starts 0-4 in conference play. And Jim Beham actually brought this up a couple days ago in his press conference. I believe it was after the previous game, not the Pittsburgh game, but the one before that. And, and a bunch of people, a bunch of reporters, they started every question with, you guys are now 1-4 in conference play. You're now 1-4 in ACC play. Stop that. Stop that. Exactly. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about because Jim Beheim wasn't having any of it. He said, go look back a couple of years. The only people who are worried is the media. He pointed at the reporters and said, <laughs> you're the only guys who think this matters because in 2016, they start conference play 0-4, and we know what happened after that. They go to the Final Four. Yeah, we know what happened. And, and the thing is about this Pittsburgh win is now you have a chance to go on a little bit of a run. You play Boston College at home, a much-improved Boston College team, going to be tough, but if they can somehow get that one and then get the win at Pittsburgh the next Saturday on the 27th, all of a sudden you've got something going, and then you get ready for another tough stretch, Georgia Tech, Virginia, Louisville. You know, there's no breaks in the ACC. The time to win is clearly now, because as you get towards the end of ACC play, you start playing at Miami, you play North Carolina, at Duke, and then a road game at Boston College, and then the surprise Clemson team to round out the year. Really good. So the time to win is now. I think this is the part of the schedule in conference play that Syracuse needs to take advantage, and it starts with Boston College and Pittsburgh. Of course, you just got to sweep the Panthers. Talking Syracuse basketball on Fizz Radio on the score 1260, taking you up until the top of the hour, Drew Carter alongside Jonathan Hoppe. And, and this stretch of the schedule is fascinating because – this type of break or respite from the rest of the conference teams doesn't come around very often. You look at the schedules from a couple years ago. I mean, I mentioned 2016. I'm looking at this schedule. There wasn't a time where you played more than two subpar ACC teams really in a row. And when I say subpar, I don't mean in the conference. I just mean generally among Power 5 teams. It just doesn't happen very often. And Syracuse, not only this season, gets Probably the two worst teams in the ACC, Pittsburgh, Boston College, and then Pittsburgh again. The only team who would challenge those two teams for that, for that title, 
uh, is Georgia Tech. Those are probably the three worst teams in the conference. You get them in four straight games, plus that little week in between, and, and it's not going to help a team any more than it'll help Syracuse, who plays seven or eight guys every night. Yeah, it's a big break for Syracuse to get that week. It's a big, big break for us, really, to cover the team. Yeah, it's kind of unusual to have eight days in between games. It's, it's pretty unheard of. But Jim Beheim, you know, get back to the fundamentals. What can this team do to improve? On offense, it's, it's everything. So it's not like there's one particular thing they need to work on. I mean, you're laughing over there, but it's it, true. It, it, really it really is, is. everything. And figuring out the rotation, what's going to happen. Frank Howard, how can he not turn the ball over? He didn't against Pittsburgh. He was great against Pittsburgh. Here's one how turnover, he, many yeah. steals. I think he had four or five steals, assists. The, the only way he finishes ACC games with more assists than turnovers is, one, if he fouls out early enough to keep that intact, and that's what he did against Florida State, finished with five assists and four turnovers, or unless he plays Pittsburgh, because Pittsburgh is garbage, as, we, as we've mentioned a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, well, he executed, and he's my key to the whole season. He has been since day one. We know what we have in other guys, especially at this point. We know when Matt Moyer comes out hot to start the game and hits a nice little step-back three, and he's got like five points in the first ten minutes. He's got the energy. We know that's probably not going to continue. Right. And if it is, it's an outlier. You know, as much as you'd like to say, oh, there's the energetic Matt Moyer. Let's get some points. You know, let's get some production out of that front court. It's probably not going to happen. He finished with six points. Exactly. It's tough to watch. And then you've got Tyus Battle. You know who he is. He's going to hit your big shot. You know, he had those 10-second violations against Florida State, which weren't very good. Those were ugly. But it all comes down to Frank Howard. What does. does he do? How does he orchestrate this offense? And can he not turn it over? Because me and you both know they can't shoot the ball very well. And when that happens, you've got to have every opportunity to score. And if you start throwing those away, it's not going to end up well. You're not going to score a lot of points. And that's what Syracuse has done exactly. They yeah. can't score. I think you make a good point there because when you can't shoot well from the perimeter, and we know Syracuse can't do that, Tyus Battle is the only guy who can consistently knock down the triple, aside from Howard, who's shown it in flashes, but I'm not sure if everyone is still buying that Frank Howard is going to be a consistent three-point shooter. Brissett has also knocked on a couple this season. But it's the same story with him. They can't shoot the ball, and they can't get inside because they don't have any interior threats. The only way Chukwu is going to finish, or Moyer for that matter, is if Howard sets them up with a really crisp, nice pass. And if the pass is going to the other team, you're not going to get anything done unless Howard nope. pulls up, Battle pulls up from mid-range, or Brissett makes some ridiculous move in the paint. So the offense is going to be completely stagnant if Howard can't figure it out. And you take a look at his game log, last time he had fewer than four turnovers was against Eastern Michigan. Before conference play started, he had turned it over at least four times in every ACC game. Brutal. It's really brutal. One thing about Frank Howard, I don't think he gets enough credit for the job he's done this season. The turnovers have been bad, but if you take a look at his game, throw the stats out the window. This is the best Frank Howard we've seen. It is. And you expect that out of a junior. But it's still not enough is the thing. It's still not enough because this offense is still putrid. No, it's not enough, but it's more than you thought you were going to get back sure. in the fall. Right. And so, you know, we don't want to sit here and pat guys on the back, and you heard Frank Howard say that after the game, that, you know, this isn't a pity party, etc. But Frank Howard is putting in the work. You know, I don't think you can blame him for this slow start for Syracuse. And I know we talked about that last week, who the guy to blame was when we were kind of up against it. It's not Frank Howard to me. Sure, he needs to turn the ball over less, but he's done a great job to improve his game. He's given you more than you thought, 
Tyus Battles kind of right around that spot. And then Jim Beheim was the leading vote-getter in that because I think a lot of people have questioned the rotation, yeah. what they do on offense at times. What and they don't do on offense Exactly. So that's what it comes down to. And Frank Howard, why he does turn the ball over, very careless. I've liked what I've seen in spurts from him. Right. And that's the fascinating point of this argument is, so Frank Howard – you can, you can say that he doesn't have a whole lot to work with and it's all on his plate because no one else can pass the ball. Second best passer on this team no is No one Mark else can Dolezal. really do anything on offense. That's the thing. It, I mean, Battle and Brissett obviously have pretty solid scoring games, but aside from that, neither one of them pass it very well. Uh, they, can, they can offensive rebound a little bit, but it's really all on the shoulders of Howard. And so you can – one side of the coin says – well, Howard has nothing around him, so how can you expect him to be an, uh, an efficient passer and also an efficient scorer? The other side of the coin, coin says Frank Howard, is, as the point guard, should be the rising tide that lifts all boats. An elite point guard in the ACC is going to make the guys around him better and can't rely on the opposite to happen. And, and it kind of feels like we don't have to settle on one side. This isn't undisputed with Skip Bayless and, and Shannon Trump. We don't have to say <laughs> definitively which side is right, but I think you have to consider – both aspects of the argument, that Frank Howard has no talent around him, but he's also not making anyone better. Oh, he's far from elite. Yes. I mean, no doubt about that. But here's what I don't understand about this offense. You bring up O'Shea Brissett. A lot of people really like him. You know, he was under-recruited coming out of Canada. It's a fine for Jim Beheim. He's a good player. He fits the system. He's moved, He's improved the team in a lot of ways. But you would say he's your third-best offensive player, maybe second. You agree with that? Right. It's a conversation. Okay, so take a look at the field goals attempted. I mean, he's taking enough. I think I got confused there. I was looking at the three-point field goals, which were just really low. But I need to see someone like him convert on more shots. He Three is for not 15, efficient. five for 15, three for 13, four for eight against Pitt, five for 16 against Wake Forest. I mean, those just have to go up. Three-point shooting is pretty good, like I mentioned. He doesn't take a lot of them, but he's pretty efficient. Since that Wake Forest game, he's had at least one three in every game. Three for seven against Notre Dame when, you know, that was an explosion from beyond yeah. the arc for everybody. Right. So that's kind of where my questions come. I don't, you know, there's no one this offense can really trust. By the way, that game against Notre Dame, Brissett, three of seven from beyond the arc. Inside the arc, do the quick math, he was 0 for 8. Three yeah. for 15 in the entire game. And they played, cut it. they played 19, 19 games this season. He shot 50% once. Once. The thing with O'Shea Brissett is maybe it's time to start giving him a little bit more criticism. I know he's a freshman. I know he's Canadian. He's polite to everyone in the postgame. Everybody loves this guy. He's always smiling. Doesn't seem like he gets upset. He shows you flashes. I think when he had a couple of these monster games, when he went 25 against Georgetown and 25 against Buffalo, and he went to the line against, uh, it was Buffalo, and he went 16 of 16, People see this and they're thinking, this guy's the real deal. He's he's the best freshman we've seen since Carmelo Anthony, maybe. But we kind of realize yeah, that, <laughs> that he's not the, he's not that guy. And I think people are a little bit hesitant to criticize him because he's so young. I think it does have a little bit to do with if you talk to him in the locker room, guy is he, he's just so nice and it makes sense because he's yeah. Canadian. But it doesn't it doesn't really seem like he gets the criticism that he sometimes deserves based on his role on this team. Right. It's kind of like the Frank Howard thing in that. Not much was expected out of him. And right. he's putting in a lot more than people thought, so that kind of changes people's views. And then people tend to be more critical of Frank Howard because he was so bad in his freshman and sophomore year. 
But O'Shea Brissett, a lot of people talk about it, including some, of, including some of our fellow staff members. I know you've kind of agreed on it. You know, Tyler Aki seems to think there's a pretty strong chance that O'Shea Brissett will leave and go to the NBA. I Tyler wouldn't say, thinks he's Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I wouldn't say pretty strong. I mean, I don't want to speak for Tyler. I certainly wouldn't say that. Yeah. But I think for some reason, like you said, there is sort of this love affair with O'Shea Brissett and this fan base. I need to see more from him. Right. He needs to be more efficient. When you're playing six or seven guys, your starters have to perform. Right. And they have to be efficient. But it's tough because they're playing so many minutes. I mean, O'Shea Brissett, 36 minutes was the fewest he played every other game, at least 39. Yeah. I mean, come on. You're wearing these guys out. We watch college basketball. Every time I turn on a game – Substitute, substitute. It's just like they're getting worn down. All these other programs have right. more than six guys. You can't really expect them to be on their A game when they're having to conserve energy. Yeah, and shout out Tyus Battle. He got three minutes of rest in this last game against Pittsburgh. And after the game, he said that felt pretty good because he never gets any rest. He's still averaging more than 40 minutes per game in the conference play. Right. It's ridiculous. Salute to that. He's a workhorse. Right. And he's so, doing what the coaches ask. And, but And the Oshaber set thing, I mean, we're being a little bit harsh, but it only seems like that because no one ever criticizes this guy. And, and the criticism that he will get is kind of his own fault because he, he has shown us how good he can be and how aggressive he can be. It's just, it's so inconsistent. He's so hot and cold. Granted, he's had double digits in all but one game this season against Texas Southern. Ever since then, double figures in every single yeah, game. Yeah, that's but impressive. Against Pittsburgh, more, you need more than eight shots. At Florida State, you need to shoot better than three of 13. Virginia, same story. Notre Dame, three of 15. Just need to be a little bit more efficient if you're O'Shea Especially percent. when you're on a losing streak. Exactly. You need your guys, your top scorers, which on this team, of course, is... Tyus Battle, Frank Howard, O'Shea Brissett, those guys have to get you out of that losing streak. And sure, guys are tense. It's tough to be on a losing streak. Mm-hmm. No one likes to lose. This is a college basketball town. There's pressure on these guys to perform. There really is, and I get that, and it's a tough thing to do. But as an athlete, you can't just get patted on the back, and they know that. You know, We're not trying to say they don't. You know, Five for 15, all those numbers you want to read out, right. you've got to be more efficient especially in this system because no one you know, everyone's not efficient it's just exactly. it's tough it, exactly so yeah. take take all the player criticism with a grain of salt is what we should say because it doesn't really seem like they're put in good situations no but at the same they're time they're working their butts off right at the they same really time are. when you have a situation like that it's on the players to kind of go into beast mode for lack of a better term and and they really need to carry carry this team because it's there's three guys. Three guys can do something offensively. Pascal Chukwu and Matthew Moyer can dunk. They can do nothing else. Yeah. So, Brissette, Except make step back threes to start the game exactly. and then do nothing. And then and then completely disappear. But one thing I'll say about this team, and we've heard Jim Beheim talk about it, effort is not a problem. Yeah. And that's what you love to see. As much as we want to win and we want to have more than 59 points against Pittsburgh, as Syracuse people, you have to understand that these guys are literally – the bar was set so low, right. okay? And when they started to win at the beginning of the season, the bar started to rise. Yeah. And people just started to think, this is a tournament team. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I don't know if that's a fair thing to say given this roster because there's just not a ton of talent there. Right. We, I think we kind of should have expected this in conference play because this team – 
is probably going to establish a baseline level of success and won't deviate very much from that. That's what I've been saying all season. Last year, they shot a ton of threes. They lived by the three, and they died by the three. And we saw that several times. They had awful losses by 30 against St. John's, and then they beat three top 10 teams. You're saying this looks like two completely different Syracuse teams, and they were at times last season. This SU team is going to play good defense. They're not going to score a lot, but defense travels, and defense is consistent. Defense has been great. So we know what this team is. They're probably not going to beat most ACC teams aside from BC, Pitt, and Georgia Tech, and they have no depth, so this break is going to really help Yeah, just look at the non-conference schedule. Everyone was rah-rah about that. Who did Syracuse beat? Right. Georgetown and UConn? Maryland was their best non-conference win, and and we don't really know how good Maryland is. There's not much to write home about in the non-conference schedule, and I think that could hurt in March, but I think that kind of says right now – it's not to be surprised that they lose these games against pretty good teams, and that's just how it's going to be for this team. All right. There's only so much they can work with. Okay, speaking of schedules, so Syracuse basketball gets a nice little breather here from the schedule. An easy win against Pittsburgh, home for Boston College. A few days from now, a nice little break for Syracuse basketball. But we'll move on to football. SU football releases the slate for the 2018 season. We'll break it all down coming up next on Fizz Radio. Rolling along here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260, taking you up until the top of the hour on this Saturday morning in Syracuse. Drew Carter alongside Jonathan Hoppy. Already talked about SU men's basketball, so let's get to the gridiron and SU football. Schedule comes out this week, and we knew a lot about this slate before. We knew who they were going to play. We just didn't know when they were going to play them. And the one opponent from across the conference in the Coastal Division is North Carolina. That game is now locked in. Let's just let's just run through it, Jonathan. Let's do it. At Western Michigan is your first game on Saturday, September 1st. That's notable because you start the season on the road for the first time since 2010. Then you come back home September 8th against Wagner, September 15th, Florida State, next week Connecticut, then at Clemson, then at Pittsburgh, then the bye week before you come back home for North Carolina, then NC State at home, then at Wake Forest, followed by a date against Louisville here in the Carrier Dome, then the neutral site game against Notre Dame at Yankee Stadium in the second to last week of the season, then at Boston College to wrap things up. So, Hoppy, what jumps out to you initially? Well, what jumps out to me is that it's a tough schedule. And it's always going to be when you play in the ACC. But the biggest thing that jumps out to me, Florida State, week three, a team that's going to have a new head coach and a lot of uncertainty. It's really, that's the truth. So to me, that's a winnable game. That's gut check time. Absolutely. You're going to start 2-0. I think we're going to go down this and try to, you know, win-loss the schedule. Western Michigan could be a little tougher than we think. The line on that one could be single digits. Row the boat over in Kalamazoo, but I would say Syracuse should win that game. Right, and I like starting on the road. Get your team tested to start. Road trip, bring them together. I like the idea of going out to a road game that you probably will win and then come back for three games. I I do kind of disagree in a sense that I think it's nice to have a sort of built-in preseason game. Last year you played Central Connecticut State in the Carrier Dome. That's a walkover. But it's essentially well, a scrimmage. Well, it hasn't worked out in the past, so... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Got to change things up, yeah, right? shout out Scott Schaefer for the uh, overtime win over Villanova. But, yeah, it's a little bit of a gut check. It's almost like a pre-gut check to go on the road at Western Michigan. And then Florida State, a couple weeks later, and same month you get Clemson. So you get arguably the two best teams in your division within the first five weeks of the season. That's fascinating. That can be good because we've seen Syracuse struggle. After the bye week. Right. Now, the bye week is earlier this year, October 13th, Syracuse won't play. 
and then after that they've got six games. If you lose every game after the bye this year, yeah, I don't I'm know. done. Yeah, I'm done. Something's, done something's got to change. So you agree, 2-0 and start most likely? Sure, yeah. Why don't you just go down the schedule now? And if I if I disagree. Okay, 2-0, and that's a loss to Florida State. I'll agree. I don't think this team is ready to take the jump. I think the Seminoles beat the Orange in the Carrier Dome. It's yeah. going to be hyped up. I mean, there's going to be people on Twitter, all right, Syracuse, let's beat Florida State. But I'm not going to be fooled by this team anymore. And it's a totally yeah. different team, so this is pure speculation. Who knows what's going to happen from now until August. And I think FSU, dark horse ACC championship contender. They've got DeAndre Francois all season. And I think their problems last year obviously ran a little bit deeper than the quarterback because they completely crumbled. And maybe that was a sort of locker room leadership lacking something. Maybe Jimbo Fisher was one foot out the door in the second half of the season. But if you go 6-6, six and six, something is wrong more than your quarterback. But I will say they're still immensely talented. They're getting back one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And I'm a believer in Willie Taggart. This year, maybe not. But in a couple of years when he gets his recruits in, FSU is going to be scary. Yeah, and those guys are going to be fired up. Jimbo Fisher leaves to go to Texas A&M. You know, that fires people up. A lot of guys recruited by Fisher still sure. on that football team. They're going to want to prove to that coach that, hey, we've got it in us to win an ACC championship Absolutely. again. Absolutely. So to me, that's a loss. UConn, Connecticut win. is a win. you gotta, you got to win that That's game. a win. Three and one, okay? And then you're going to Clemson, which is a loss. You can't expect to win a road game against Clemson because Syracuse already can't win a road game. Clemson so, will be preseason top three team in the country. That's a loss. Chalk it up. The one upset per season – comes at home maybe it's Florida State uh, maybe it's it's down the maybe line it's Louisville. I against see a team that like happening. Louisville or maybe UNC if you consider that a big upset but it's not coming on the road they're not winning at Clemson three and two now at Pittsburgh that is when you really like that's this, a toss-up as of now this schedule is so fun right because this is put up or shut up time for Syracuse football and Dino Babers mm-hmm. they need to make a bowl game this year the schedule softens up a little bit. I mean, saying it's, it's not saying a whole lot from last year when they had the toughest schedule in the country, but this year it's a little bit easier. It's a little bit easier. All right, I'm going to give them the Pittsburgh game. Let's do that. So now we're at 4-2. and two. You come home and you play North Carolina in North Carolina State. This team's not going to win both of those games. They split them. They're going to split them. Both in the dome. I tend to think they'll beat North Carolina at home who shows a lot of holes on defense, and I don't see why it would be too much of a turnaround next year. Yeah, UNC totally crumbled last season. The NC State game, speaking of holes on defense, they've got a quarterback in Ryan Finley who might be the most consistent guy in the ACC or the most known commodity NC in State's the ACC. a good football team. And he will probably shred the Syracuse secondary. Unless it's a complete 180 for those defensive backs for the Orange, uh, Finley will light them up. And so NC State will probably win. But I agree that those two games against the two North Carolina teams in the Carrier Dome, probably a split. So they're at 5-4 and four now, 5-3? and three. Yeah, they're at 5-3. and three. My question is, did John Walford graduate? Yes, he did. He did? He's okay. gone. So the Wake Forest game, on the road, you're at 5-3. and three. You travel to Winston-Salem. So three games against North Carolina teams. I mean, what's your thoughts on that immediately? My initial thought is lost because you're on the road. If that game were at home, I think it'd be a different story. This seems like more of, of a toss-up than any other game on the schedule than probably Pittsburgh on the road. Um, but I think, so if we're going to say you split the North Carolina and the NC State games, probably fair to say you split the two games that surround them, Pittsburgh yep. and Wake Forest, both on the road. Good call. That four-game stretch there is probably 2-2. Two and two. And we should say this 
We should have said this off the top. This exercise is ridiculous. We're only <laughs> we're only doing it because it's fun. But to be honest, we don't know jack about any of these teams. The season is still seven months away. Eight months? Seven months? Yeah, long time. Starts, starts in September. Uh, and we really have we have no clue how these teams are going to play out. But as of now, we've got them at 5-4. and 5-4 and four with a loss to Wake Forest. Say they beat Pittsburgh at Heinz Field. Close to the schedule, Louisville, Notre Dame at Yankee Stadium, and Boston College on the road. Just win one. In Chestnut Hill. Just win one, and you're in a bowl game. Just win one, I think, is a realistic goal to think somehow they could win. They, To me, right now, in this unrealistic exercise that we're doing, mm-hmm. they could win two of those games. So I think that. the ceiling on this team is seven wins. Would you agree with that? It's tough for me to say ceiling or floor with this team because we're gonna we're gonna ignore injuries, right? For the floor, because the floor realistically is like one and ten if Dungy gets hurt in the first game of the season. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll see what they have in Devito if, if that happens. If things have gone like they have in the past two seasons, in term, and, and it's tough. You're right. Ceiling and floor <laughs> is always so hard. It's another one of these sports radio if things. things. It's kind of fun, like you, but a realistic ceiling. How about that? Realistic ceiling, I think, is eight wins. I think you can beat both those North Carolina teams. I think you can win both the games at Pittsburgh and at Wake Forest. So maybe it's more like nine wins. I would be shocked if I'd this be surprised. team touches eight or nine. I'd be surprised. I would be heavily shocked. I mean, I, I really would be like... Jaw would be on the floor. We'll come back and grab this at this time next season, and I will say sorry to everyone in the entire football program at Syracuse. But the ceiling... The ceiling is the roof. The ceiling with the Dino Babers offense, maybe maybe I am just making this up because it's fun to say, but the ceiling for a team that goes that fast with a senior quarterback who has now started for three seasons, pretty high. Pretty high. And aside from the Clemson and Florida State games, it's not like you're playing Alabama. You're not playing teams that we would really expect to be ranked inside the top 15 or top 20. So I think the ceiling is eight or nine wins. Realistically, we can predict six or seven. Ceiling is more like eight or nine. So Floor what's your is more prediction? like two or three. So if we do go down the schedule, I'll go win at Western Michigan, win versus Wagner, lost to Florida State, win versus Connecticut three and one, lost to Clemson three and two, split the next four games, so five and four at or versus Louisville, I should say. I'm gonna say loss, five and five. Notre Dame neutral site, I'm gonna say loss, five and six. At BC, I'm gonna say win, get to six and six, get yourself in a bowl game. That's exactly my prediction. It seems bland, a 500 team. That would be great for Syracuse. Six and six, get to a bowl game, be consistent in some way. Not just occasionally great. And they won't be, be by the way. Be good. They won't be. So, we're, I mean, we're looking at this and we kind of agree on which games they're going to win. And Vegas will probably have Syracuse as a favorite in all the games we say, barring extreme circumstances you had to guess at this point seven months away right exactly i mean it's completely ridiculous and i'll give you one hot take one bold prediction louisville loses lamar jackson this year we all know that jawan pass heisman dark horse he's replacing lamar jackson four-star recruit another dual threat guy they're going to be scary again next year lamar jackson is a transcendent talent but I believe in that system. I think they're going to be really good next year. What's your gut tell you about Eric Dungy? You think he's going to come out and have a strong season? My gut on Eric Dungy says that he's going to get injured. It, it's unfortunate, but that, that's got to be your gut feeling it's with this tough. guy. This it's point. tough that that's even in this conversation. But like you say, it's happened the past two years. So 
you know, you're not going to expect it to happen again, but if it does, you certainly won't be surprised. Dungey gives you 10 to 12 games, you make a bowl. Nine or fewer, I think you miss it. It's probably that simple for Syracuse. Dungey in his DeVito. senior season. Yeah, if, if he goes <laughs> down, it's going to be pretty interesting to see what Tommy DeVito can do. But we both think Syracuse makes a bowl, just sneaks in at 6-6. Six and six. The schedule came out a couple of days ago, and SU starts playing in about seven or eight months. So plenty of time to break it all down. But first, got to talk about some recruits, a couple high-profile guys visiting campus this weekend. We'll tell you who they are. Coming up on the other side on Fizz Radio. Welcome back to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Drew Carter and Jonathan Hoppy taking you up until the top of the hour. Here on this Saturday morning, we've already talked about SU basketball and SU football releasing the schedule. But now let's look ahead even further in the future. Let's do it. Three high-profile football recruits are visiting campus this weekend. And the top guy, the four-star recruit who decommitted from USC earlier uh, in December, actually, so it's been about a month now since he decommitted. Michael Salahuddin, a four-star running back in the class of 2018, visiting Syracuse this weekend. Could be a massive running back get for the Qs. Could be massive. Tyrone Barber, a defensive tackle, also in the class of 2018, committed verbally to South Florida and still is committed, but still giving Syracuse a chance as he visits this weekend. And Jarvion Howard, another running back, also in the class of 2018, who's got offers from Ole Miss and Mississippi State. He's out of Columbia, Mississippi, and I think every state in the South has a city called Columbia. You think about Missouri, South Carolina, and also Mississippi, apparently. I don't know if there's a Columbia in North Carolina. Are you sure? Google it right now. I'm pretty sure. Let me get a... This is great radio, but I'll I'll, I'll keep talking about these guys because three high-profile recruits visiting SU's campus this weekend. Salahuddin is the big name. He's the top recruit. There is a Columbia in North Carolina. Of course there is. You don't even know your own (laughs) state. That's brutal. Uh, according to 24-7 Sports, Michael Salahuddin is a four-star recruit. He's the number one player out of the Washington, D.C. area, the number five all-purpose back in the class. We've talked about this before, Hop. Syracuse cannot run the football at all. A guy like this would help. Yeah, absolutely. Any talent on the offensive side of the ball in the backfield would be big. Receivers, tailbacks. That's what this team needs. Offensive line, help is on the way. Got to seen that momentum pick up, and we know Dino Babers has a special eye for skilled position players, and we expect that to continue. A guy like Salahuddin would be big. And he hasn't really exhibited that eye for talent at the running back position just yet. We've seen it at wide receiver, certainly, with Ambed Atawo coming over from Maryland. Steve Ishmael wasn't his recruit, but we know he can turn those guys into superstars. Same thing happened with Irv Phillips. We'll see if he can do the same with a running back, and it might come down to the offensive line providing some help. When you get a transcendent type of talent, which Salahuddin might be, that could really help your running game quite a bit. All right, Tyrone Barber, defensive tackle out of Florida. As I mentioned, he's still committed to South Florida, but it doesn't really mean a whole lot because it's only verbal. And if you're wondering, you might be thinking, well, signing day was, was earlier in December. How can these guys in the class of 2018 still be deliberating on where they're going to go to school? It's because there are now two signing periods four high school recruits. There was that one in December and also the first day of February is when these guys can commit. So Tyrone Barber, 6'3", 275, three stars. We talked about how Syracuse can't run the ball. They couldn't stop the run either late in this last season. Well, first of all, Drew, the name Tyrone kind of has a sour taste in everyone's mouth right now because Tyrone Sampson, Syracuse, potential offensive line recruit. Trade one for the other. Has now decommitted and it's most likely that He's not going to come. We still have Kadir White in terms of a recruit, but that would be big. And it's that kind of thing, if you're Dino Babers, how much potential can you get on this team? Because that's all you want. Mm -hmm. You want potential, and if you want to connect this back to the Syracuse basketball team, 
Not a ton of potential on that team right now, and you're seeing it. There's a ceiling in terms of how well this team can perform, it feels like. So for the football team to bring these guys in, bring them around this weekend, show them a good time, it's big. That's what college recruiting is all about. That's how you get your players. Let's get to the last guy here, Jarvion Howard, another running back. He's a three-star player in the class of 2018. So three stars compared to Salahuddin's four stars doesn't jump off the screen at you, but what does is the offers. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Syracuse kind of feels out of place among those two teams. We haven't really seen Babers exploit the Mississippi area. It's more when he goes south that's going to be just restricted to Florida. You can get a, a base in Mississippi. That'd be big time. Yeah, like you said, you get one guy, you can get more. We've seen that down in Texas. Absolutely. And that's something to look at is if he can get this guy, all of a sudden you kind of get some contacts down there because that's what recruiting's all about. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you talk know? to high school coaches, coach, how's this guy? Coach, how's this guy? And that's what it's about. So to bring him in in a running back position where Syracuse is desperately looking for a guy, he could possibly be it. You never know. Two running backs in the class of 2018, Michael Salahuddin, a four-star running back, Jarvion Howard, a three-star running back, plus a defensive tackle, Tyrone Barber, all visiting SU's campus this weekend. You see these guys around, flash a smile. Tell, tell them, them the weather. Tell them the weather isn't always this bad. <laughs> it's beautiful in the it's Carrier Dome. It's an outlier. Dome. It's beautiful if it's in the Carrier Dome, and they're playing, and they can put up massive numbers. So we'll see if any of them end up committing to Syracuse. All right, wrapping things up here on Fizz Radio, we've got Fizz Feedback coming up on the other side here on the Score 1260. Coming down the home stretch here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Got a few more minutes in here before they kick us out at the top of the hour. Drew Carter alongside Jonathan Hoppy. We're going to finish this show as we do with all of them. Fizz Feedback and Hoppy, we're keeping it simple this week. Only one poll on our Twitter, at Orange Fizz. It is, will Syracuse make the tournament? Because Joe Lenardi from ESPN came out with an updated version of his bracketology a few days ago. He has Syracuse in as an 11 seed, one of the final at-large bids in this entire field of 68. I'll just ask you, do you think SU makes the tourney? I don't. And it's a sad reality for Syracuse fans, but what you got to think about is, This offense is miserable. And against top-tier teams in the ACC, really the top half of the ACC, which Syracuse is going to play a lot of games against here in this second half of the ACC season, it's tough to win. It's just so tough to win. Four-game losing streak. You've really got to win your next three or four games to even have a shot, and I don't think this team can do that. We have not seen a whole lot of variation from the Syracuse team this season. They beat the teams they should beat. They lose to the teams they should lose to. Sometimes they deviate from that. Maryland is a pretty good team, but they came to the Carrier Dome and it was really rocking. St. Bonaventure, I think, might be better on paper than Syracuse, even on a neutral floor. These these are games that we know what's coming from Syracuse, and as frustrating as it is to watch their offense sputter and completely stagnate game after game, the defense will be consistent and the offense won't be. And at the end of the day, it's the opposite of last year. Last year, you shoot so many three-pointers that you're not going to be consistent. You can beat great teams, but also lose to putrid teams like St. John's. This year, that's not going to happen. You win the games you should. You lose the games you should. In the ACC, that's not good enough. No, it's not good enough. I'm curious to see what the people said on Twitter. 58% no, 42% yes. And that's kind of surprising because in the non-conference portion, if we had asked this question after the Virginia Tech game, 90-10, 90-10, at least. At least. 90-10, right. because they look great in that VT game. But here, here's what I'll say about that. Virginia Tech, I think, is right around Syracuse's level in terms of talent and the product they're putting out on the floor right now. 
three teams are below Syracuse in my personal power rankings up here in my head, and they're the three teams Syracuse gets next. Pittsburgh, Boston College, Georgia Tech. We saw them handle Pittsburgh at least in the last 10 minutes a couple days ago in the Dome. you got to do that against these three teams. But after that, in the ACC, the ninth or 10th best team in the conference, it's going to be a struggle to get in. I think they're going to be on the bubble, but I don't think they make it. No, I think they're on the bubble, definitely leaning towards being out, and I don't think they – I think they ultimately don't make it. I really do. You take a look at last year's team, they were great in conference play. A lot of upset wins. You take a look at that Virginia-Florida State win. I don't see Syracuse winning games like versus North Carolina at Duke or even an NC State team in the Carrier Dome, and then Clemson's a surprise team, so I don't see it happening. All right, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at OrangeFizz, and check us out on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash TheOrangeFizz for all of our content. That's all we've got on this Saturday. For Jonathan Hoppe, I'm Drew Carter. Thanks so much for listening, and enjoy your weekend.